0: Please open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 40. Isaiah 40. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing upon the next few minutes as we look to your word. For truth, I pray God that my voice would diminish, and that Your voice will be heard through Your Word. Pray that You would prepare Your heart, the hearts of of all of us, each one of us, by Your Holy Spirit to receive what You have to say to us today through this sacred time that You have ordained. That Your Word would be proclaimed so that sinners would be called to faith and that saints would be challenged, strengthened, and encouraged. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you all for your prayers and concern for me this past week. Uh, many of you sent messages and cards and phone calls that were, were very encouraging, and, and I am grateful for your support. For the past several months, I have felt an increasing burden weighing on my heart over the condition of the church in the United States of America. Naturally, that includes this church. My spirit is troubled this morning, and it has been troubled for some time, and I stand before you today to deliver a message that has been burning in my heart for quite a while, and I'm going to warn you this message should come with a warning label. I feel, as the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 4.19, My anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart, he said, My heart is beating wildly. I cannot be silent, for I hear the sound of a trumpet, the alarm of war. Brothers and sisters, in 2020, an alarm was sounded in the church. It was a historic year of compromise among Christians. We have witnessed with our very eyes churches close their doors for months at the snap of the fingers of governors who did not consider the church essential. Now think about that for a minute. The church in America has let the secular state determine that the public worship of the creator of the universe is not essential. But abortion services, liquor stores, and Home Depot is We've seen professing Christians retreat for months behind the walls of their homes because of, yes, a very real virus, but one with a very high survival rate. I'm not talking about the vulnerable or the elderly, although we've got some elderly saints in here who put a lot of people to shame. I'm talking about younger, healthy people, healthy Christians, healthy families like one I was introduced to last week who hasn't been to church since the pandemic began. Oh, how far we've come from the early church where believers risked life and limb together with God's people. And even in parts of the world today, Christians walk miles at great personal risk to attend public worship. But here in America, we're fine with watching from our couch in pajamas. We should be ashamed. We've heard our governors tell us for months that public gatherings are dangerous. The week before Christmas... This past Christmas, the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, told his state, quote, worship online is still worship, and you don't need to sit in a pew for God to hear your prayers, end quote. Now, never mind the fact that an American governor has no business telling the American people not to go to church. Here's the tragic reality of 2020. The church is full of professing Christians who will actually agree with what he said. In spite of the fact that the New Testament explicitly and implicitly commands gathered public worship. Friends, we are in more danger walking through acne than we are sitting in these pews once a week. God help us. This is compromise. We've been conditioned for the past ten months to be afraid of flesh and blood, human connection. So that now if someone comes up to give us a hug or to shake our hand, we draw back because we've been told that other people might make us sick and we could die. Friends, I want us to understand this morning that there is no such thing as contactless human connection. God has designed us to thrive on touch and affection. I've had elderly saints tell me that they had not been hugged by their children all year long because of the virus. A virus with a 94% survival rate for those over 70. You see, church, COVID may eventually go away and God willing, it will. But there will always be another COVID. It may eventually go away, but the way that we have been conditioned to live because of COVID will never go away. It's here to stay. Because we have learned to quietly submit our lives to the unquestioned guidance and directives of the secular state instead of the word of God. But this compromise goes far beyond the challenges of COVID 19. This is more than that. COVID 19 was the event that triggered the eruption that showed us what was beneath the surface of the church. A couple of weeks ago, Phil Vischer, you've probably heard of him, he, he was the creator of the children's cartoon Veggie Tales. Phil Vischer went online to publicly criticize those who believe in a literal six-day creation. You know, that little pesky doctrine that sits at the front of our Bibles. Now, why would a Christian go online to publicly criticize other Christians who actually believe the Bible? The renowned Christian apologist William Lane Craig, perhaps you've heard of him, I've talked about him before, in a video released on December the 11th of this year, referred to the first 11 chapters of Genesis as what he calls mytho-historical, which is basically a fusion of myth and history. The Genesis 1 through 11 is not historical, it's, it's mythology, myth mixed with history. And of course, those who see these first 11 chapters of the Bible this way have no problem denying the historicity of the events recorded therein. This is compromise. Saddleback Church in Southern California, where Rick Warren is the pastor, just a couple of weeks ago, hosted a black-only virtual service Think about that for a moment. In a letter sent to Saddleback's membership, Pastor Rick Warren said this, quote, We want this to be a safe space for our black brothers and sisters to heal and to be fed mentally, emotionally, and spiritually by their church family heading into the new year, end quote. And Rick Warren, of course, is the author of the Purpose Driven Life, a book that has sold over 50 million copies worldwide. Woke social justice ideology has infected the church. This is compromise. We could talk about the church's surrender to the demands of the LGBT movement so that now many professing believers have no problem affirming the idea that same-sex relationships are completely normal and compatible with biblical Christianity. We can talk about how so so many professing Christians had no problem casting their vote for what will be the most pro-choice, pro-LGBT, and most anti-Christian administration in U.S. history. Mark that down. On and on the compromise goes. Are you troubled yet? You actually may be troubled more by what I'm saying than the fact of what I'm saying. At the core of this historic compromise is one underlying issue. And that is the abandonment of biblical authority. Friends, the church... (laughs) the church has lost its confidence in the word of God. We've lost it. The Big Bang and evolutionary theories tell us that the creation account can't be true, so we jettison those chapters. The sexual revolution demands the affirmation of all sorts of depravity, so we Jettison those verses. The woke social justice movement tells us that white people are inherently racist. So we jettison everything the Bible teaches about the unity of the one human race and we, we jump on the Black Lives Matter bandwagon to atone for our systemic racism and, and our white privilege. The church is caving in at every cultural challenge. Why? Because we have lost our confidence in the Word of God. It is no longer authoritative. It is no longer sufficient to address the social problems and moral evils of culture. We must look to science and scientism. We must look to psychology. We must look to education and government for the answers to the problem of the human beast. And if the church goes to scripture at all, it is only to baptize secular ideology in biblical language so to have the appearance of truth while keeping in sync with the spirit of the age. We paint a little veneer over top of the spirit of the age. But, friends, if the church is going to remain the church in this age of bold hostility toward Christian truth, then we are going to have to regain our confidence in this book. It is divinely inspired, it is holy. Without error. It is absolutely authoritative and completely sufficient. Now, that was all introduction. Will you stand with me this morning as we read from Isaiah chapter 40, verse number six? A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word. Please be seated. This passage was written by the prophet Isaiah under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit during a time in which he projects a future period of exile under the oppressive Babylonians. Isaiah called God's people to repentance. But they refused. And so <laughs> the Babylonians would be sent by God to execute judgment on his rebellious people. Jerusalem was in ruins. The people were in captivity, but even in judgment, God promises restoration. And Isaiah 40 is the announcement of that promise. So in context, our passage is a message of hope to a future people suffering in exile that that contrasts the uncertainty of human life with the certainty of God's word. The hope of this exiled people would not be human wisdom. It would not be human ability or human ingenuity. The hope and confidence of this people would be God's promise. And I want us to take these three verses this morning and and just briefly draw out the, the larger implications for us as they apply to our confidence. Our confidence, yours and mine in the certainty of God's word and the first thing that we see here in verse 6 is God's call to his messengers. Verse 6 says a voice cries, says cry, and I said, what shall I cry? And if you look up just a few verses in verse 3, you'll find the mention of another voice. It is the voice of a herald, a prophet announcing the coming of the Lord. The New Testament read this passage in light of the ministry of John the Baptist. But the voice in verse 6 is different. It is a divine voice calling the heralds, calling the prophets, calling them to speak for Him, to cry for Him. You see, in God's sovereign wisdom, He has chosen to speak to man, through man. Under the old covenant, God spoke through the prophets. In the new covenant, God spoke through Christ, the word made flesh. And after Christ ascended, Ephesians 4.11 says that he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor, teachers to the church to equip and to build the church. So that means that the primary... Vehicle through which the Word of God is now proclaimed and given to man is through the preaching of His Word. This is why the Apostles Paul, Apostle Paul's final charge, as he neared the end of his life, his final charge to his young protege Timothy was to preach the Word. 2 Timothy 4 1 says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? For the time is coming, Paul said, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now friends, if you don't think Those verses describe with prophetic precision the present situation and condition of the church today, then your head is in the theological sand. The church is filled with people who no longer want to hear the pure and plain truth of God's word, they want their ears tickled. They want pop psychology. They want readers' digest messages that speak to their felt needs instead of biblical exposition that pinpoints the beast of sin residing in their heart. And friends, the church is full of preachers who will give them exactly what they want. But God is calling men who will cry out and sound an alarm. Men who aren't afraid of losing disgruntled church members who don't like straightforward preaching or those who want to compromise the Word of God to fit the prevailing worldview and values of the culture Isaiah 58, 1 says, Cry loud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. God is calling for men who are confident in the plain truth of His Word and don't cave to the PhDs who explain away the miraculous claims of Scripture and who who try to squeeze billions of years into the first chapter of Genesis, where there is no way they fit. Or who try to come up with naturalistic explanations for the plagues on Egypt, such as muddy water of the Nile. I can't tell you how many commentaries I've read. Scholars with multiple degrees want to explain away the judgment of God, the miraculous judgment of God. They want to explain away the miracles of Scripture and all the doctrines that are tethered to these miracles. They want to find some natural way that the Red Sea was split. Well, it actually wasn't a sea. It was more like a river. Away with that nonsense. God wants some men who will speak to the issues of our day with clarity and certainty. We've got to the point where we're cloaking everything in nuance. First Corinthians 14, 7, Paul says, If lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is, what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? You see, friends, the church is confused right now because her pastors are confused. They have lost confidence in the clarity of God's word. They've been told by scholars that, well, we really can't understand what this means. We don't really know what this means. Truth is blurry. Everything is gray. And what's coming out of so many pulpits this morning, right now, even as I speak, is an uncertain sound. Oh, that God would give us men who love and know this book, who stand on it regardless of the personal cost. May God even raise up young men out of this congregation who will be His voice to the next generation. Some Jeremiah's, some Isaiah's, some Malachi's. God is calling His messengers to cry. But what will they cry? Will they preach their own message? What will they? What will they say? What, that was the prophet's question in verse six. What shall I cry? He asked. Friends, every week I, I, I bow before the the presence of a sovereign God and say, What shall I cry? And so the second point from this text is God's message to man. God's message to man. Look at verse 6 again, the middle, the middle of verse 6. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The 18th century American pastor and theologian, Jonathan Edwards, I've quoted from him many times. Edwards says this, Of all kinds of knowledge that we can ever obtain, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves are the most important. And friends, friends, Isaiah 46 gives us a startling assessment of ourselves. We are withering grass and fading flowers. Everything about us is frail and uncertain. Our rebellion in Eden brought sin. It brought suffering. It brought death into this world. And so now we grow old, we get sick, and we die. None of which was was by God's design. Our health is subject to sickness and disease. Our emotions fluctuate with the wind. Our cognitive abilities diminish as we grow old. We make our plans, but our future remains uncertain. We can, listen, we just finished 2021. Here we are at the beginning of 20, or 2021. And we can confess until our tongues fall out of our mouths how much better 2021 is going to be than 2020. That we have no control over what the next 12 seconds will unfold, much less the next 12 months. We are fragile and frail. Our knowledge is fleeting and it is fallible. Yet we somehow think that science and education holds the answers to the problem of the human beast. That government can solve the problem. It can't. Impossible. The word beauty here in verse 6 is a Hebrew word that means steadfastness. It means faithfulness. And so the prophet is saying here that everything that we are as humans is unreliable it's unreliable our knowledge is unreliable our wisdom and ingenuity is as fleeting as a fading flower and we see its uncertainty all the time one year milk is good for us the next year it's not one year hand sanitizer hurts our immune systems and now it saves our lives one month only in 95 masks do the job, are effective, but now whatever sock you want to throw over your face works just fine. We could go on and on about the ever-changing word of man. Let me tell you what God is doing here. Isaiah is telling us right here, at verse 7, God is exposing the frailty and the folly of Of humanity. Verse 7 The grass withers, the flower fades. When? When the breath of the Lord blows on it. Friends, God's breath is blowing on us right now. The heat of the east wind of judgment is exposing the folly of our self sufficiency, and yet we keep looking to the wisdom of fallible men for answers. And so now we're having segregated church services for our black brothers and sisters to to heal because the gathered assembly is not good enough god is exposing this compromise within the church and his message to us is that we are nothing lastly God's word stands. That's what I want to leave you with. Verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And here we come to the point (laughs) man's word is fallible. It's unreliable, it's fleeting, it's faithless. God's word stands. When every human voice has faded into obscurity, God's voice through his word will echo through the unending ages of eternity. When every claim of human wisdom and knowledge has come to nothing, God's word will outlast them all. This is why that when man says that the universe has evolved over billions of years, but God says that in six days, ordinary days, that's what the text means, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, we must stand on God's word. This is why that when man says that truth is relative, your truth, my truth, and their truth, that there are multiple paths to eternal life. But God says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through Him. We must stand on God's word. When man normalizes premarital sex, cohabitating, adultery, polyamory, transgenderism, same-sex relationships, and every other Crossing of God's boundaries. But God says this the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. We must stand on that word. That is not hard to understand, is it? That verse doesn't require nuance. It is clear, it is plain when man says that the church cannot gather. And that virtual church is the new normal. That God says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. Together, we must stand on God's word. So my question for us this morning, brothers and sisters, whose word are we going to stand on? When they knock on our door, Are we going to go into this year trusting in man's fallible word? Or are we going to stand on God's infallible word? And friends, listen, it's not that human knowledge is inherently contrary to God. It's not. Don't hear me say that. Science, medicine, technology, education, and government are all good gifts from God as expressions of His common grace. But the church has surrendered biblical authority to the ever-changing claims of fallible man. That's what we've done. Science is now the new idol of modern man. The experts are the new popes who speak infallibly. And the church has bowed the knee, just like the pagan culture around us. Let me close with three final thoughts. Number one, this is this is almost so simple, it's embarrassing. Number one, we need to read the Bible. If you are a professing believer and do not read your Bible, you are asking to be swept away by this present wave of deception and compromise in the church. Don't think for one second that your common sense, cultural conservatism will protect you from it. It won't. Jesus said that in the last days, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. That's Matthew 24. If you don't have a desire to read God's word... Do it anyway. I don't know anyone who has a desire to brush their teeth or vacuum the floor, but we do it anyway. Read the Bible. Cultivate a love for God's Word. Read Psalm 119 until your heart rejoices to hear the psalmist say, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Put your face in this book. Number two, we need to filter everything that we see and hear in the world around us through the grid of the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. That includes claims of fallible science, morality, ethics, education, the reach of government, everything. All of that needs to be evaluated by the clear and plain teaching of Scripture. And brothers and sisters, there is a myriad of pastors and ministries out there right now who are trying to straddle the fence. They're trying to play both sides. They want they want to retain the respect of the academy out here in the world and they want to appear to be standing on the truth of God's word here in the church. It doesn't happen that way. Filter what they are saying. And so that brings me to my third, my third practical, whatever you want to call it. We need to be careful who we let influence our lives. I have seen pastor after pastor after pastor after ministry after ministry, many respectable men cave to the ideological pressures of 2020, just this past week. Lord have mercy. I was so brokenhearted to see yet another ministry that I once highly respected, that I that I highly recommended. They embraced the woke social justice movement. Don't let your life be influenced by those pastors or preachers or ministries or books or whatever the case who are compromising with the culture here's how how this works, take, take a quick test if you find your own personal beliefs and thought process more in sync with everybody out there You're probably already compromised. We are the fish who swim against the flow. We are the ones who are on the narrow way. We are not taking the broad way. And if we find ourselves on the broad way, then we're in trouble, friends. No matter who they are, be careful who you let influence you. Stand on this word. Stand on it. And let me tell you, you're going to sound and seem like a maniac to the world out there. They're not going to look at you as being reasonable. They're going to call you crazy. Perhaps you might be thinking that of me this morning. Stand on this word. Stand crazy on this word. Don't give an inch. Don't fall back. To the, to the demands of this pagan culture. The very gospel itself is at stake, friends. If we lose confidence in the Bible, then we lose the truth that repentance and faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. You study your church history. You, you, trace, you trace that line of liberalism back to where it started. It starts with an abandonment of biblical authority. And then you have churches here in America, what used to be mainline churches in America, hosting transgender blessings in their services. The dedication of young children who haven't yet decided what gender they're going to be. I'm not making this up. It starts with an abandonment of biblical authority. That's why in churches that have abandoned this book, you never hear about sin. You never hear about wrath. You don't hear about hell. They don't talk about repentance. There's no need to talk like that because God is just a God of love. He would never send anyone to eternal punishment in hell. There's no talk about the perfect active obedience of Christ to merit a flawless righteousness for sinners who have no righteousness in themselves. There's no talk about the substitutionary death of Jesus on Calvary's cross to atone for the sins of those who would believe. There's no talk of Christ's literal, physical resurrection from the dead for the justification of sinners. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. was a heretic. He denied the virgin birth of Christ. He denied the physical, literal resurrection of Christ. Whatever good he did, he was not a man of God. He was not a prophet of the Most High. He was an apostate. But we embrace him and many others like him. Because of some other good they've done. We don't deny any of that. Sinners, unbelievers, apostates can do good things. They can impact culture. But we don't have to embrace that. We have to stand on this book. We have to call out error when we see it. That's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to do. It's hard to do. Because preachers are concerned that if we, if we get up and actually say what we believe, our church might, might fire us. But God is looking for men who will cry who will talk about the death of Christ, who will talk about the sin of man. In this church, we're going to stand on this word. We're going to stand on it. We're going to preach to dying men, women, and children about a living Savior who died and was raised so that they could be reconciled to God if they would but turn from their sin and turn from their self-sufficiency and flee to Christ. That is who we are going to be. If If you can get on board with that, then you can get on board here. To those who are here this morning, or maybe you're watching online, and you do not know if you are right with God, All this I'm talking about this morning just seems like the ravings of a madman. You don't know that your sins have been washed away by the pure blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, friends, turn to him today. Abandon your sin. Abandon your self-righteousness. Abandon your trust and your confidence in fallible man. Believe on Christ. And to my brothers and sisters in this church... Let us turn aside from confidence in the uncertain, ever-changing word of fallible man. Let us anchor ourselves to the true and certain word of the living God. When every other word falters, God's word stands. Let's pray.